gospel reading comes from Matthew 13, 31 through 33, and 44 through 52. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his measure, sorry, out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, thank you, Aaron. That um, I appreciate you reading that for us today. Uh, so let me start by asking um, for you to think about this question. Um, what is something that is unseen, but potentially everywhere? Um, it's so small that it's unseen to us, but it can spread rapidly and with great impact. It's consuming and altering communities, peoples, and nations that appeared indestructible. And right now in these times, you might be thinking of a virus when I describe it that way, um, specifically perhaps the COVID-19 virus that is currently wrecking havoc to lives, to economies, and to the social fabric across the globe. But, um, but really, that is not the answer that I'm looking for today. Um, instead, I am proposing that this is the way of the kingdom of God. So pay attention. Pay attention, as Jesus says, pay attention. Our imagination trains us to develop eyes that see and ears that hear Jesus helping us understand the nature of the kingdom of God. So we're going to ask that question, what is the kingdom like? And as we look through a bunch of Jesus's tiny little parables that are all clumped up together here in today's reading, I want to suggest that like last week or last time that I, I shared uh, that the, the kingdom of God is ubiquitous. Um, we'll delve more into that here today with these parables. Uh, the kingdom of God is ubiquitous. The kingdom of God is ordinary and the kingdom of God is hidden. Ubiquitous, ordinary and hidden. 
So Jesus, both in his teaching and in his life, has a way of breaking down empires, of, of dismantling the kingdoms of this world and, and dislodging our own sense of control over our own lives. And in these parables uh, today, the kingdom of God is literally down to earth. It's earthy. It's humble. It's common. I don't know about you, but um, but when we're talking about God, we often prefer to speak of God as Lord or God as king, uh, especially when we are talking about a kingdom. Uh, That is, a kingdom usually needs a king. But here in Jesus's parables, we are instead dealing with a sharecropper working a field, a a trash tree, uh, a baker and a female baker uh, at that, and a merchant who in Jesus's day, uh, merchants are part of the same class of folks as tax collectors and used car salesmen. These are common stories of ordinary working class people doing everyday things. hardly exciting, and it's certainly not exalted. Jesus's parables are not fantastic fantasy like Aesop's fables of talking animals, or nor are they like Greek or Roman myths of gods in disguise stalking unsuspecting humans. God's kingdom is not someplace in the esoteric sweet by and by when the role is called up yonder, Uh, Rather, God's kingdom is up close. It's near. In fact, it's as close, perhaps, as a loaf of bread or mustard seed, for instance. Uh, We'll start there, the mustard seed. Jesus has got a sense of humor here. Uh, His listeners would probably have chuckled when hearing this little parable. One commentator that I read put it like this. When Jesus said the mustard plant was the greatest of all shrubs, his listeners probably snorted and blew milk out of their noses. (laughs) You see, where Jesus lived, the mustard seed, uh, the scientific name Brazica nigra, was not a crop that they would have planted. I know we like mustard, but mustard seed and mustard plants were not crops they would have planted. In fact, uh, the mustard plant was actually a common and robust, very robust weed. In many parts of the world today, it is considered an invasive species. So the reign of God certainly is not much of a cash crop, but it's not easily eradicated either. You see, it's like it's like a yard full of of dandelions or or thistles or kudzu. It's so common, it's not really appreciated. And it's hardly magnificent. The mustard seed is the kudzu or the mulberry tree of its day. And it's not sown or it's not nurtured like the tomato or zucchini plants in my garden are. Uh, The mustard seed shows up often where it's not welcome. And then it spreads and it spreads and it spreads like kudzu covering entire hillsides, like like prickly thistles showing up in beds of lavender. It's invasive. It's unpredictable. Now, it does not sound very appealing, does it? And yet, and yet Jesus says that that this weed tree, this weed tree becomes a place where birds of the air come and make nests. This weed tree, this mustard seed grows and provides a place of shelter and a place of nurture. You see, what others have determined to be junk, 
God identifies as redeemable. God identifies as, as transformative. It is so ordinary that we may not even notice it. And that's why Jesus calls us to pay attention, to train our eyes and our ears. And it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's like um, the kingdom is omnipresent, but, it, but it's, it's everywhere. It's showing up everywhere. The kingdom of God is not merely coming. It has come. It's already among us. Jesus tells us that in, uh, in Luke 17. The kingdom is already among us. Now, this might also be a good time just to stop for a second and recognize that there are at least two things, probably many things, uh, but at least two things about the kingdom of God that we have a tendency to misunderstand. Um, that is the perception that the kingdom of God is something that will only occur in the future. And also that its presence is contingent upon us. To the first, um, that the kingdom of God is something that will only occur in the future. Yes, of course, the kingdom will come, but the kingdom of God has already come in the person and the spirit of Jesus, and it is among us today. And second, the misunderstanding that the presence of God's kingdom is dependent upon us. Willie James Jennings in his incredible commentary on the book of Acts. If you ever get a chance, I would encourage you to spend some time reading that um, as you as you work your way through Acts. But uh, Jennings in uh, in that commentary, he explains that um, when Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra and um, they were resisting being identified as gods by the people there uh, in Acts 14, that the work of the disciples then at that point was the work of, of clarification, um, that is uh, separating of the messengers of God from the presence of God, that, that we too often confuse our presence with the presence of God in a place. Now, our work as messengers of God is, is, to, is to embody that, um, but the presence of God is, is present no matter whether we are doing work or not. Um, we often confuse our presence with the presence of God in a particular place. But God is here. God is at work with or without us. Do we have eyes to see it? Disciples like Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, and disciples like those who follow Jesus, disciples like us, we have the opportunity to, uh, in Jennings' words, to stand at the frontier of faith and the threshold of God's love for those who sense divine presence, but don't yet know God's name. And that, my friends, is where I hope all of you in the work that you do across the world get to stand. That is in the frontier of faith and the threshold of God's love for those who sense divine presence, but don't yet know God's name. So weeds and yeast... The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard weed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast mixed into flour by a female baker, leavening the whole batch. At this point in the process, the yeast is completely inseparable from the rest of the dough. Like Tim's talk about the weeds, there's no, there, it's impossible to separate the yeast from the dough. Uh, the, the dough the dough is the dough because it's got the flour and the yeast and the water mixed together. 
In the words of our friend Robert Farrar Capone, whom I mentioned in my previous talk, uh, he says that for every second of the time the world has been the world, it has also been the kingdom of God. The world's progress through history isn't a transition from non-kingdom to kingdom, he says. Rather, it is a progress from kingdom in a mystery to kingdom made manifest. It is a progress from kingdom in a mystery to kingdom made manifest. That is the kingdom of God revealed. So if the presence of God is in this place already, and I believe it is, then this is God's kingdom. Everywhere is God's kingdom. And, and this, is, this is the hiddenness that I mentioned earlier. In a loaf of bread, the, the, the yeast is everywhere. It's spread throughout the bread. It's ubiquitous, but you don't see it. It's hidden. So what is it, though, within the bread that reveals the presence of yeast as, as an integral part of that bread? I love, I love making bread. I um, made quite a bit of it for my dissertation on communion, which if anyone needs to fall asleep, uh, it's a great uh, solution to insomnia. Um, but I did. I made a lot of bread for that work. Um, but my, also my family appreciates um, when I make bread. They appreciate especially the cinnamon bread, the pita bread, and whole wheat seed breads that I enjoy making. So what is it that I enjoy about making bread? One part of it is the kneading. I really love kneading bread by hand. Um, I, I wonder if maybe part of it is the repetitive nature of like just working the dough back and forth and back and forth over and over to form the gluten. And that has become for me a time of reflection. Um, it's often become a time of prayer for those that will receive the bread that I'm making. Uh, another thing I really enjoy about the bread is the aroma of the fermenting yeast. Um, I think that's one of the most pleasing scents in the world. You can just imagine it. Um, it's it's the the, ye the leaven or or the yeast that that causes the dough to rise, as you know, and and that happens by producing carbon dioxide, which are those little pockets of air, little pockets of breath, breath perhaps of the Creator, the ruah of God from Genesis chapter one, the breath. The whole kingdom of God mixed inseparably into creation, needed and needed and needed. Uh, the whole kingdom of God is seen, sensed and scented as the warm breath of leaven. And the hiddenness of the yeast is revealed through its breath through its gases, which are transforming a liquid lump of dough into something nourishing and delicious. And so the kingdom of God then is revealed in the transformative work of Jesus's spirit, breathing new life into old things. Now here's um, just a couple of other fun facts about this little parable of the yeast before we move on to, to some of these others that Jesus um, tells us. Um, first, the woman is a baker. Jesus likens himself to a female baker. And I think it's always good to recognize and point out the female metaphors for God in scripture. Second of all, uh, the three measures of flour that the woman um, mixes in with the yeast. Um, 
uh, with the leaven, uh, that's enough to make bread, not just for a household, but for an entire wedding feast. It's a lot of flour, a wedding feast. And then third, God uses the ordinary and often misunderstood or maligned to expand and make God's kingdom known. Out of the abundance of small things, things like mustard seeds and yeast, miraculous transformations occur. Consider the possibility of mustard trash trees transforming into, say, the tree of life, a place where birds raise their young, the unclean, invisible leaven feeding a multitude on a hillside. These are ordinary, they're ubiquitous, and they're hidden. But speaking of things hidden, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a sharecropper found and hid. And then in their joy, they go and sell all that they have and they buy that field. And I think what's so fascinating or maybe even paradoxical about this parable is that the kingdom of God is both ordinary and common, but also a treasure, a pearl, a great pearl. I mentioned in my last message that, that God the sower is extravagant. In today's stories, we see some of that extravagance. The mustard bush and the leaven, they're, they're everywhere. There's nowhere in the field where the mustard seed hasn't expanded its reaches. There's nowhere in the bread where there is no leaven. Um, there's nowhere where they are not. They're spread extravagantly through the field and the bread. The kingdom is spread extravagantly through the world. And, and then the hidden treasure and the pearl are by nature symbols of extravagant fortune. But the irony is that the kingdom fortune of the pearl and the treasure isn't wealth like we know it. It's, it, it's not silver or gold or Bitcoin or stocks and bonds or sports cars or good houses or good schools, but, but rather this kingdom fortune is more like weed bushes and bread. Capone asks, would you sell all that you have for a crop of kudzu? Okay, maybe if you're a goat, you might, but uh, I don't think many of us would. The kingdom of God is not easily recognized or understood. Now, it might be worth exploring at this point exactly what is the kingdom of God. If, if the presence of God is everywhere, where do we see it? I think that you are all practiced at telling stories that reveal the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I'd love to hear some of those stories. I think that that's part of your role as missionaries. And um, part of your role is, is to tell those stories to those that know God through Jesus, your, your supporters and your friends. You're telling them, this is what God's up to here in this place. Um, and, and then um, you're also practiced at telling stories as well to those who, as Willie Jennings says, don't yet know God's name, but sense the divine presence. And so I imagine that you are actually well-situated to answer that question. I'd love to hear it from you. Where do you see the ordinary hidden presence of God, the reality of the kingdom of God in your own particular place?
if the kingdom really is ubiquitous, what we need rather are eyes to see it and apocalyptic discipline to reveal it in its hidden ordinariness. So I thought that maybe in order to kind of um, jog your imagination and get it going uh, a bit, that I would close with a story about my place where I am here on the near east side of Indianapolis, a place that perhaps on its surface, it might look worthless, it might look insignificant, but really who has eyes to see the kingdom in this place? Eyes, um, eyes that see through the veneer of empire, eyes that see um, of the empire, they might just see trash in my neighborhood. They will see empty houses, they will see drugs, they will see prostitutes, um, they might see neglect, they might think it's worthless. But eyes of the kingdom see something else happening in this, this little community. So recently I have been reading The Color of Law. Uh, the Color of Law book is about the strategic segregation of African-American housing in America over the past few centuries, especially the 20th century and into the present time. And housing segregation um, policies set up by the federal government um, is at the root of, of less access to good education, less access to health, jobs with living wages, um, as well as being at the root of, of police confrontations and, um, and even these current protests that are happening here in the US. And so what the author of The Color of Law found was that when neighborhoods were racially and economically integrated, that those on the lower economic scale had the opportunity for, of course, access to better education, better health care, better job opportunities, and a decrease of crime. And so his recommendation, um, among many, is, is for wealthier neighborhoods um, to encourage mixed income housing rather than, than solely middle or upper middle class housing or, or clumping low income housing into undesirable places not to be seen or heard from by others. By benefiting those marginalized at the bottom, the whole community benefits from desegregated housing. And so my neighborhood here on the Near East Side, I believe is beginning to reflect some of that reality that, that we are hoping for um, with, uh, with what he's suggesting here. But, but we are still on um, just the cusp of that. Um, some of the houses uh, in our neighborhood are being renovated and, and home prices are starting to rise. Uh, but then scattered throughout the neighborhood, our, our church's Community Development Corporation, our CDC, has been building low and mixed income multi-unit apartment buildings. Now, we are certainly not the only ones contributing to shaping what the housing looks like on the Near East side. But I do believe that the kingdom of God is present when neighborhoods are desegregated and when neighborhoods reflect mixed economic stat situations and, and neighbors live near those different than themselves and learn to live well together it becomes a matter of justice, which is also a kingdom matter. Okay, so that example, it might sound small or it might sound insignificant or, or it may even seem to you unrelated uh, to what you think of when you think of the kingdom of God. 
But I believe that it's stories like this that reflect the hidden ubiquity of God's kingdom, that, that remind us that God is at work in the world here and now in reconciling all things to God, as, as Paul says in Colossians 1. And that that's one small part of it that we get to see happening right here in this particular place. And so part of our job as, as those who follow in the way of, of Jesus is, um, is to join in that hard work of, of urban planning or, or education or healthcare or, or planting fields or, or whatever it is that we believe God desires to reconcile. And spoiler alert, I believe it's all things. God desires to reconcile all things so we can join in the hard work of all things. But part of our job, too, is, uh, is, is disciplining our eyes to see and our ears to hear what the kingdom of God is up to in our places. And then, of course, part of our job is to be able to tell what we see and what we hear to others. That is, as these parables end, like a scribe who records the new and the old story of God dwelling among us, who shares that God's tent is pitched among ours. And that's the story that we are tasked to tell today. Amen. Katie, thank you so much for that word from Matthew 13 and those really intriguing parables. <laughs> the, I love the idea that you said about the the common and the ordinary and the treasure. And I feel like the story about the strange mustard weed <laughs> tree and the <laughs> yeah. and the yeast do such a great job of thinking about the normalness of life. And then a weird one with the dude going and burying a finding a treasure, burying it in the field and then buying the field just so that he makes sure nobody else can call it yeah. uh, such interesting you know, stories. I really, I really, when I first started looking at this passage, I really thought I would probably just zone in on one, maybe two of them and, mm -hmm. and just kind of dig in deeper with, with them. But then the more I started spinning with the full text, the more I thought that uh, I mean, they all work together. So yeah. it, just, it ended up being that um, I didn't dive into as much the net um, parable, but I think that that the net is is, is similar enough to uh, to what Tim talked about with with the weeds yeah. that um, that I didn't need to rehash that part too. So, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, but, it's just yeah. it's just bad fish as opposed yeah. to weed. <laughs> and maybe they're a bit stinky. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, which is true. Sometimes it's stinky fish that cause the biggest yeah. problems, right? Um, well, that whole parable, and especially what you highlighted with the mustard seed and the mustard plant uh, was really intriguing to me to think about in ancient times in particular. Yeah. We got French's mustard in my fridge. So I don't think of it as the, the weed that nobody wanted around though. I know that they probably used it at, from a culinary standpoint, even in middle Eastern food mm -hmm. still that it was invasive, that it was found to be something that was undesirable in their plant, in their gardens, or maybe in their fields that they were working. And yet Jesus describes that as not only something that just comes up, it appears like the kingdom of God, but that it becomes a place of 
shelter and nurture for birds. And essentially Jesus saying that that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's some people might not want it, but it's there and it's sheltering and nurturing people along the way. And I, I couldn't help but think as you were preaching that I think a lot of our missionaries probably in their context sometimes feel like their ministries are kind of like that mustard plant. Like it doesn't quite fit. Maybe the culture at large doesn't quite know how to take them or jive with them. And with that sentiment in mind, like what's the best way for them to continue to resonate with those ideas that you said of being a place of shelter and and nurturing, Mm -hmm. even if maybe some people don't quite know what to do with them. Yeah. uh, I think that that's a really good question. Um, It, you know, I think, uh, often that something that we often think of as, as a weed, like, like a dandelion, um, are, ends up being very, very, an important, very like essential part of the ecosystem, you know, like it, mm. it nourishes the bees and keeps the diversity of the ecosystem going rather than just having a homogenous lawn, you know? So, so they do really, um, contribute to, um, to the importance of, of keeping the ecosystem healthy. But, but I think in terms of our own contexts, um, right now I'm, I'm thinking it's just, it's, it's like front and center in my mind, um, uh, about, uh, the, the racial injustices in, mm. in particularly here in the U S that, uh, yeah. that are being identified and called out here. Um, it's been here the whole time. And, and, right. and for now, for many of us, it's, it's just becoming front and center is, is recognizing that it's, it's the root of a lot of sin here in the U S but, mm-hmm. um, what, what ends up happening when you are a citizen of the kingdom is that you are not drawn into partisanship. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that like here in the U S you're not fully identifying with one particular political party or being fully on board with a party's platform. Mm-hmm. Um, because you are uh, a citizen of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. um, but rather you are able then to call out injustice in its own terms um, and speak into the injustice that is being perpetuated mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, not feeling compelled to toe the party line. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think um, uh, shelter then um, doesn't get co-opted into somebody else's agenda. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's able to stay above the fray to a certain extent. Um, it's able to remain faithful to, uh, to the way of Jesus. Um, and, and, and yet it's also, it, 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 uh, I think providing shelter and, and protection and nurture, um, allows us to stay above that fray to not be Mm -hmm. co-opted in, but it also, um, gives us that freedom to dive deep into the mud and the mess um, for the sake of God's justice and God's righteousness to be present here on earth as it is in mm. heaven. Um, and so I think that that as citizens of the kingdom, rather than as citizens of particular countries that you're living and working in, mm. um, you have the opportunity to, um, to kind of have a bird's eye view um, and to speak into things that maybe um, folks that, that are they're embedded into that that particular mm. context don't have the either eyes to see or ability to speak about um, it maybe even maybe i'm not trying to take over your point but maybe to not say things are binary but maybe there's a third way of thinking about this when mm-hmm. and that the church lead the way in 
as a place of shelter and nurture that the church in various contexts, whether that's Kenya or the United States or Thailand, we, we are different and we lead the way forward in bringing about whether that's racial reconciliation or recognition that some cultural practice in our own country or in some other country maybe is out of line with even just basic human rights and, and how we should be treating one another. Right. Yeah. And that, I think, you know, it, um, it, it, it goes back to, um, to what I said about um, Paul and, and uh, Barnabas, mm -hmm. um, that part of their work was, was the work of clarification yeah. Um, and, and they were outsiders to that place, um, but, but they were able to call out to identify something. Um, and I think that that's what we as kingdom people um, get to be able to do in a space. Mm. Um, yeah, so. I love that. And it's so, so true. I also, in these stories, loved the, the story of the woman baking bread. I know you did too, since you're, you're a big time baker. And I couldn't help... But think as you were doing, uh, as you were preaching about the baker and the kingdom of God and the yeast being ubiquitous and being within the bread, to think about your own baking experiences. You talked about kneading the dough and 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 even that being a form of prayer or using that as a time to pause and pray, and then the gift of that bread to other people. And I just wondered, do you have any? random stories of like making a certain loaf of bread or doing something with some bread and breaking bread with somebody? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I, part of the joy of, of making bread is that it usually comes, uh, when you're finished, um, in multiple loaves. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I would often try to like keep one loaf for my family and then pass all the rest of them out. <laughs> so, so that, uh, I wasn't eating all of them, hmm. um, but uh, I I think I when I was when I would spend time kneading and and praying over the the loaf um, of of the dough, I I would be thinking about friends sometimes or um, strangers or even just people that I would think of that might benefit from knowing that somebody cared about them, hmm. um, and and sometimes. Uh, I didn't have anybody particular in mind. And sometimes I knew for sure this was going to so-and-so. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes uh, depending on who the person was, uh, I, uh, I wouldn't say anything to them that, you know, Hey, I prayed for you as I made this, you know, just kind of <laughs> right. depend, you know, discerning what it, what it was they needed. But, but sometimes um, I, I would share with people that I offered up prayers on their behalf um, because I thought that it would be something that, that would benefit them knowing, knowing that they were cared for, not just by me, but by, uh, by the one that I was praying to uh, mm. on their behalf. Um, and uh, I think that, that what that did for me, um, that, that practice, that discipline um, was, was help me, be more sensitive to the receivers of the bread um, yeah. and to um, I'm, I'm not a very intuitive person. I just, mm. I, I don't see things like that. I just, <laughs> that is not my DNA. I just, it's not how I 
think most of the time, but, but um, it helped train me to be more sensitive to, um, to those that were receiving the bread, um, to have eyes to see who might need some bread and some prayer. Yeah. Um, and whether or not they actually did or did need bread and prayer or not, um, mm -hmm. uh, most people willingly received it. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, who's going to turn down? Right. A I think that's loaf of bread. <laughs> I think that's what's so intriguing. Even the more you sit and stew on that parable in particular, is no one makes bread. It's very, very rare that someone makes bread just for themselves. Mm -hmm. Bread is made to be broken, to be shared with others. Mm -hmm. um, and so I love that idea just to, to continue to think on that, that the kingdom of God is ma made to be shared with others, that it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, and it's yeah. it's supposed to be shared in. Mm -hmm. um, and then you highlighting this. I just had never even heard or locked in, don't remember that idea that the sheer amount of flour that the woman uses is enough for a wedding. She wasn't just making yeah. something for dinner for that night. She's making something to celebrate. This is not a household wife making bread for her mm. family's meal at night. This mm. is this is like a professional baker or or someone who's preparing something big. And and the the commentaries that I read, you know, guesstimated that that um, three bushels of, of flour would have been enough for like a wedding feast. Wow. Um, which yeah. you know, there's all sorts of fun things to tie in. With yeah, that. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the idea of honing a, the discipline to have eyes to see or ears to hear. And I guess I just wondered in your own life, or maybe if you have some suggestions of some ways that we can foster curiosity in, in our life and in our ministries to see God's work uh, around us. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Need some bread. Yeah. <laughs> Step one, make yeah. some bread. Make bread. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say um, also take walks. Um, I, I think um, learning the rhythms of your place, um, learning the rhythms of, of both the people and the world around you um, is, is a good discipline to have. Um, like who, who is it that you're seeing sitting outside um, in the same place at the same time every day? Um, and then, and then what kinds of things are they seeing as the world passes them by? So, you know, it's, it, it, um, I think that's partly how curiosity is developed is by, um, by building some kind of rhythms, um, to pay attention, um, to a particular place or a particular time, uh, particular people. Um, and then, it, you know, looking to see what, um, what God is up to around you, um, I'm, I'm always hesitant. This is going to sound a little funny, a little counterintuitive, <laughs> but I'm always hesitant to um, attribute something directly to God. Mm. Um, no, I understand uh, that. You know, I just, I, 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 I'm hesitant to do that because I feel like it's a bit presumptive to say that this is God's work. Um, whereas it can also I, lead I, I, to like superstition, like, Yes. Yes. Can exactly. Go to, you can yeah. go like one step further of like, oh, you know, whatever. That's my guardian angel. Like it yes. can go to that place with things and, too. And and I think though that um, and or or even manipulative. Yeah. Um, exactly. Either either attempting manipulation of God or manipulating those around you to say, mm -hmm. well, God's doing this, so therefore. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so. Uh, fostering curiosity to see what God is up to around us. Um, what I would say 
to that though is that um, anything that is life-giving, um, anything that is is bending towards justice, uh, that is expressing righteousness, um, that is where I believe that God is usually up to something. Hmm. Um, and and it doesn't have to be something that has an expressly Christian label on it. That doesn't have to have uh, all the check boxes for for being Christian. Um, but uh, God was up to something before there were Christians around. Mm -hmm. So I guess as mm -hmm. he is still. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, but, uh, yeah, hopefully we can trust that that's the case. <laughs> yeah. But if it's something that is life-giving, if it's bending towards justice, if it's expressing righteousness, then then I believe that God is, God is a part of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, looking to the rhythms of life around us, maybe using times like this current pandemic to reset our rhythms. Maybe. And then yeah. to also be more observant to the things that are going on around us. I think those are really necessary and necessary reminders for us uh, going forward to hone that discipline. Well, just so in our my last thought, I guess, as I reflect on your, your sermon is thinking about that idea of common and ordinary and treasure, that that's what the kingdom of, of God is. You mentioned the Near East side. I know you you guys have probably examples as well from your life in, with the with the Turkana in Kenya. But what are some ways that you've seen that play out in your own life as we close out this time? Um, I know. Yeah, again, I'm not looking for anything fancy here on this, but mm -hmm. I would say, what's more ordinary than a loaf of bread? Yeah. I mean, literally, even if it's a Wonder Bread loaf, um, mm -hmm. which I think are personally disgusting. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, what is more ordinary than a loaf of bread? Yeah. And yet, and yet as you said, um, it's something that's meant to be shared. Um, breaking it with family or with friends or with strangers or dare even enemies, mm. you know, um, that ordinary loaf of bread becomes a treasure. Um, it becomes the body of Christ given to us. Filling us, nourishing us, giving us life, um, giving belonging, um, and and needing us together in Christ, uh, and and so I think that's that's how something common becomes a treasure, mm -hmm. um, and and I think that that um, anything that is common can be a treasure. Um, it's how you perceive it. Mm -hmm. It's how you receive it. Uh, how it's that is that's how how it's valued yeah. um, and then and then how you disperse it how you give it away mm -hmm. um, so I'd say really anything can be a treasure anything can mm. be a treasure uh, anything that's common um, I love that and yeah. I, I think that these parables from Matthew 13 really highlight that <laughs> and I think I wonder as I've wondered this over the last couple of weeks as we've been recording these sermons, how often did Jesus share these parables or were these all so unique that he said it one time and it was so intriguing that all of the the disciples just remember it. Uh, and right. yeah, and, and it, a one and done kind of thing mm -hmm. or, um, you know, and I, I, man, I don't know. I'm not a New Testament scholar, so maybe somebody else would say something different. But but part of me wonders, you know, he's got this small cluster of of, 
of, of men and women that follow him everywhere. But mm -hmm. then he's got like these crowds of people around him too. And, mm -hmm. and so my guess, my guess is that like everywhere he's going, he's telling something similar to mm -hmm. some of this, you know, he's got yeah. some of it here, some of it here. And, and um, I don't know if you have ever had like a favorite professor, um, but uh, like Dr. Norris at seminary was mm -hmm. uh, um by the time we were there, like every class he said he we took with him was basically the same class. It just right. Like, you heard all of his stories. You know, like I've heard all that before, and it was still delightful, you know. Yeah. But it was like, okay, this is the you know the doctrine of, of Christ. This one's doctor of Holy Spirit, but mm -hmm. but it was really the same class um, because it was the same <laughs> same teacher. Right. And and so I just I wonder if if uh, if that was you know Jesus telling the same parables or the same stories mm -hmm. or the same you know but kind of changing things up, you know, based yeah. on the context of, of the folks that are around. Are there more Pharisees here today? Let's throw in some things about the law. Yeah. You know? Zinger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, Katie, thank you so much for this time and uh, for your word from Matthew 13 and for being a part of the Pastoral Care Series. We are so grateful for you and your ministry. Yeah. Hey, I miss seeing everybody in person, um, but I'm glad to be able to share this way. And um and hope that, that uh, y'all are well and hopefully see, see you in person soon somewhere. Yeah, amen. God bless you, friend. Thanks, take care.